You're listening to a leadership message from Pastor Jurgen Matesius here at Awaken Church. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. The, the title of my message this morning is The Awaken Manifesto. The Awaken Manifesto. I thought if the communists have a manifesto, and a manifesto is kind of what they believe, you know, their values, their core values, their, their mission statement. I thought, well, you know, do, do we have a, a manifesto here at Awaken on what we believe, what our values are, what our mission kind of is and our purpose is? And there's, there's a passage of Scripture that uh, sometimes when, when you come into the kingdom and you hear a passage of Scripture expounded by somebody else, it's very easy for the brain to go lazy and you just adopt, well, that is the interpretation of that passage. And every time you get to that, you say, hey, brain, you know, you can kind of go into cruise control here. This passage has already been interpreted for us. And so I want to go to the parable of the Good Samaritan. So come with me in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be reading from verse 25. Luke chapter 10. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up to test him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Like, where, where, where does my responsibility end? Like, where, where's the fence line? Like, is it... Is my neighbor the one I share a property line with? What about, what about the jack wagon two doors down? Like, please tell me I don't have to. What about the guy across the street? That guy drives it. And so Jesus answered and said to him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. <coughs> Excuse me. So he went to him and bandaged him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day when he departed, when they departed, he took out two denarii, gave to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The Awakened Manifesto. What, what I love about this passage is it, it's always been used as, you know, the Good Samaritan, that we need to be the Good Samaritan. We need to care for the homeless. We need to care for the widow. And we need to care for the destitute. And we need to care for the broken. And we need to care for the down and out. And absolutely, we do. But what's, what's so potent about this is there are three powerful truths that I want to bring out that sadly... Uh, is, is, is kind of missing when we just take on the, the uh, church as a 
social justice arm. When we take on that the church is just a welfare, just, you know, hey, we'll fill in the gaps of the government welfare system. Whatever the government welfare system doesn't fill, hey, we're here as an army of volunteers to fill. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is saying, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. You're the neighbor. You're the neighbor and the world is your community. He's saying, well, hang on, who, who am I responsible for? Who is my neighbor that I should? He's like, no, you got it around the wrong way. You're saying, who is my neighbor? No, no, you is the neighbor. And the world is your community. Who am I responsible for? Everybody. So what, let me give you three quick thoughts. Number one, make more than you need. The first, first thing that jumps out in this story is, is the, the, the guy, the Samaritan, who picks up this Jewish man who got beaten up, robbed by thieves, left for dead, bleeding on the, on the footpath or down a dark alley. This guy picks him up, pours on his own oil and own wine at his expense, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, takes care of him in the end because back then they didn't have hospitals. The word hospitality or hospital comes from the, the love or the care of strangers. Hospitals were started by Christians because back then your family took care of you when you were ill. And it was in the first century that because of the explosion of the church and then also because of the persecution of the church that many people from fear of the Romans and from fear of the Jews had nothing to do with the Christians. So the Christians had to realize, my God, there are people who are sick or people who are wounded or people who are hurting and their family has disowned them. They will not care for them. So therefore we need to make them our brother and our sister. That's why nurses are called sisters. So they started what we know today as hospitals, but it came from hospitality, the love of or the care for strangers. And so this, this man takes him to an inn, to a hotel, checks him in, gets him medical care, gives two denarii. Two denarii is about six months' wages. And he says, here's six months' wages. If you need any more, when I return, I'll fix up. Like if you've got to do a blood transfusion, if his leg's broken, you've got to set his leg. If he, if he needs a transfer, whatever, you need, whatever else you need to fix him up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I don't know too many Christians who can pay for somebody's hotel, pay for their travel, their accommodation, their food, their lodging, and then pay for all their medical expenses. So what that tells me about this guy is, is he can only be the good Samaritan because he believes in prosperity. See, we, 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 we've been sold a bill of goods that, you know, somehow if you're poor, then you're dependent upon God. That, you know, you know, don't like those, you know, awakened church people down there, like, you know, prosperity gospel. We ought to be poor so we can be dependent upon God. The poor are dependent upon God. That's funny. I, when we go past the homeless, they've all got their, their hand out. They're waiting at traffic lights with little signs. I thought they were poor and dependent upon God. Why, why, well then why do I need to feel bad about, you know, I pretend I don't see him. Oh, don't make eye contact, I made eye contact now. <laughs> if they're dependent upon God. I've actually found that, that uh, Pastor Jesse Sullivan, who's our 
business and financial manager has had to become more dependent on God, has had to pray more with the more projects, the more properties, the, the, the more budgets, the, the, the more income that's coming. In fact, he, he, here's, here's, here's what the devil really wants to do. He lies to you and he says, no, no, if you're poor, then you're dependent upon God. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're dependent upon God. But this is what he's doing. He's saying, no, no, if you're poor, no one can be dependent upon you. No one can. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 says that, that God will make all grace abound towards you, that you always abounding may superabound, that you may be able to give to every good work. When I look around, we live in a world full of needs. We've got villages, eight villages now in Peru. We've got five orphanages in Mexico. We built a hospital in Ghana last year. We've got, you know, another 240 acres that we want to buy for Emerge Ranch. We've got a YMCA that's, you know, coming available in Escondido. We've got, you know, over 100 people meeting together in, in connect groups down in Temecula. We've got, uh, you know, a school that is coming up because this place is jam-packed to the hilt on a Sunday. We need another central camper. Like, my, my gosh, like we, we there, there's stuff for you to, to, to give towards, but how do you do that if you're so poor? The way that you stay dependent upon God, because people say, well, you know, the Bible says that how hard it is for the rich. It says how hard, it doesn't say how impossible it is for the rich. How hard it is, because it's very easy to put your trust in riches. So what's the answer? It's very simple, give. If you want to stay dependent upon God, give. The day you stop giving, when the good Samaritan, sorry, when the, uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what must I do? Same question, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? It's exactly the same. Jesus is front end loading this, this question because it's the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Same, same question, same response. The rich young ruler says, all these I've kept since I was a youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. The Bible says the good Samaritan could not do this for he possessed great riches. The truth is he didn't possess great riches. Great riches possessed him. Because whenever you have something that you can't give, you don't have it. You are deceived. It has you. If you think you have something and you can't give it when God prompts you, you don't have it. It has you. The greatest way to stay dependent, to stay dependent upon God, to stay in faith with God is giving. That's why every year all of, my, all of our business people say, hey, pastor, do not stop vision builders. Do not back up. There's got, and and I've, I've found that every year we have more and more vision God's increase in God's favor. But these people are saying the best thing that ever happened to us was we positioned ourselves in a place where in the midst of prosperity, in the midst of blessing, we are still in a place where we are dependent on seeing God break through, God fulfill His promises, God come through in contracts and expansion so we can fulfill our vision builders' commitments so that we can fulfill our tithes, offerings going over and above. That's how you stay dependent upon God. It is unbelievably difficult to be a good Christian and not prosper. If Jesus says, this is, this is the guy, the poster child, the good Samaritan, 
How many people right now could pay for somebody else's food, lodging, hospital bills, medical bills? Very, very few. But that's what God is saying that, that he, wants, he wants us to live in a place where you are making more than what you need because it's no longer about you. I remember years ago sitting with a, with a guy and he's like, I don't understand you people at, you know, at Sea Free, you know, driving in new cars. And while there are people starving in third world nations. And I used to drive a bummy, crappy, like um, Nissan. And you know what? People were still, still like poor and dying in third world nations. It wasn't like, it wasn't like when Jurgen drove a bummy car, everybody was well fed in third world nations. But as soon as Jurgen decides he doesn't want to keep paying all these expensive repairs. He wants to get a new car with leather seats that comes with a warranty. Yeah, now look what happened to the, the third world. They're all starving. Yeah, you know who's paying for his new car, right? Little kids in Campuchia. Like, I'm, I know, I'm saying it, it's like it's so stupid. And I, so I had to say to this Pastor, um, I said, let, let me tell you the difference. I said, you know, how much should I make? It's just enough. Just enough. I said, well, just enough for who? For yourself. I said, that would honestly be the most selfish, self-centered git statement I've ever heard in my life. Just, you're not meant to have just enough for you. What, what a small world that you, you make just enough for you. Have you lifted your eyes and looked at the fields? They're white under heart. Have you looked outside your door? See, the, the priest and the Levite, when they saw the man, and people say, oh, you know, the priest and the Levite, they were, they were like racist. They weren't. He was a Jew. He was, they were in Samaria, but he was a Jewish man beaten up in Samaria. So it wasn't race that caused him to cross the street. What caused them to cross the street was that as a priest and a Levite, if they would have ministered to him, they would have been unclean and unable to perform their priestly duties. And so they looked at the man and thought, ah, I don't want to go through the ceremonial cleansing, present the offering to the priest to, to atone for my, you know what, let somebody else take care of it, and they cross the street. But the Samaritan didn't do that. The Samaritan took that guy and Jesus is like holding him up as, as a champion. All the way through the Bible, we see that God never does just enough. The first miracle that Jesus did was he turned water into wine. And of all the miracles, like, and I love it, of all the miracles that he could have done, he could have raised the dead and proved that he's the resurrection God. He could have cleansed the leper to show that, you know, while we were unable to cleanse our, ourselves from our sin, Jesus is the cleanser. And he did both of those, but they weren't the first. His introduction after 400 years of silence, the drama in heaven, the angels are looking at God and he's got this cheeky little grin. Almost like Leanne has at times. This cheeky little grin. And the angels are like, he's up to something. Well, what do you think his first miracle is going to be? And they're still like, man, I'm betting resurrection. Man, I'm betting it's going to be, you know, cleansing of a leper. One of the angels, I reckon he's going to walk on water. He's going to walk on water to show that the word prevails over every circumstance, that the word is not. Yeah, and, yeah, and he's going to do all of those things. But the first miracle, he turns water into wine at a wedding. They're like, man, he's just offended all the Baptists. 
for 2,000 years, the Baptists are going to skip over John chapter 2. They're going to quickly hurry through it, or they're going to make excuses. Yeah, it wasn't real alcohol, it was grape juice. <laughs> that sommelier does not know what he's talking about. He was like tricked. But, but God is like, no, no, for, there's 400 years of silence, and they've put me in a box that I'm the religious law God. That I'm the God of laws, and I'm the mighty smiter. And should thou steppest outside of mine laws, well, I'll smite thee with boils. Because that's who I am. I'm looking. I, I created laws that you can't keep. <laughs> so I can smite thee and make excuses. No. And he's like, hang on, before I was a lawgiver, I was a life giver. I formed Adam from the dust and <sighs> breathed into him my spirit. And Adam became a living being. How did, how did you religious twits put me in this category that I'm this, I, I was always a life giver. And it's about time we reestablish that I'm the life giver. There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't come. There ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't. He, he's, he, he's the life giving God. But watch this. <coughs> To, to save the wedding, all he needed to do was turn one of six wash pots into wine. Because there's 30 gallons. That would have been enough to get through the wedding. But he didn't. He turned six wash pots. 180 gallons. That's 1,600 bottles of wine. 1,600. That's, that's more than any of the vineyards you go to. They, they probably don't even have 1,600 bottles in their cellar. Jesus turns, literally, they've ran out of wine to a vineyard that is stocked to the hilt. The cellar is overflowing because you and I live in the moment. But the God that you and I serve doesn't live in the moment he lives outside of time. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever at the same time. He's in my past mopping up. He's in my present. Come on, thank God. He's in, in my present work, and he's already in my future setting things up at the same time. They, they were in a crisis in a moment, but Jesus was, wasn't looking at their moment. He was looking at their life together. After he saved the wedding feast, after he saved where they all could toast with the speeches and celebrate, they had enough wine left over. 1,600 bottles of wine is a little over half a million dollars worth of wine. Jesus didn't just save the wedding day. He set them up so that they can go and put a, a, a fat de deposit down on a fat house in Salt Lake City or wherever they wanted to live on the Sea of Galilee or up there in Capernaum. He wasn't thinking, the God that you and I serve exceedingly abundantly above. Luke chapter 5, when he first calls the disciples and he gets into Simon Peter's boat and teaches. And when he finishes teaching, he says to Simon, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. And Simon's like, Master, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter. Let me just tell you, we fished all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, after sitting under the teaching of your word. And I just want to say, Matt and, and Lorraine, that just as Simon Peter said, listen, in our heads, we've toiled all night, caught nothing. Man, nothing's changed in Salt Lake City. Nothing's changed in this region. Nevertheless, at the preaching of your word, I will let down the net. The, the atmosphere, Jesus, the atmosphere shifted. The, the, the word going forth shifts possibility. 
it, 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 it annihilates impossibility and releases possibility. But Peter's not there yet because his head's still in the way. He's like, man, we, we, we already washed the nets. I don't have nets faith. But there's something about your word. I'm going to meet you halfway. I'm going to throw in a net. And when he threw in a net, so many fish came into the net. The net broke and fish were hemorrhaging out of the, the break. And they had to signal their partners. because so, And so their partners came in the other boat and they're dragging and they're filling both the boats so that they began to sink from one net. Both Jesus only used Peter's boat. Jesus only used Peter's boat. But the blessing that Peter got wasn't just on Peter's house. was on everyone that he was in partnership with. That's why the devil is an isolationist. That's why the devil will try and put a fence in you to get you disconnected. Because if you disconnect, they fill both the boats. They signal to their partners and both boats were filled till they began to sink. When this couple goes out, they're going out in partnership. What God is doing here, we know He's going to do there because they're in partnership. They're connected. Their hearts are knit with us. They're our Till both boats overflow, both boats begin to sink. Either you got to get bigger boats or you got to increase your partnerships and have more campuses. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to flourish. The one miracle that's in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. What is it? Jesus finishes feeding 20,000 people, 5,000 men, women, and children. 20,000 people, some Bible scholars say, was more than likely there. Five loaves and two fish. And then he says, once they've had all eaten and were satisfied, collect the basketfuls of leftovers. They're like, what? hang on, what? hang on, whoa, what do you mean leftovers? We, were, we, we looked at how many people and how few resources. We, we, we were hoping that we'd have just enough to pay the mortgage. We were hoping we'd have just enough to, to keep the lights on. We were hoping we'd have just enough to put Hero the Rock music on. We were hoping we'd have just enough to kind of put on the right administration stuff. We were hoping we'd have just enough to kind of have a good assimilation. We were hoping to have just... No, no, he says, no, no, no. If Papa was involved... If Papa God was in, and he had to get involved because you didn't have enough. The vision I gave you, you didn't shrink. You said, sit, let's just go for this thing. Let's just believe God. Let's just see what God can do. There were 12 basketfuls. One, one basket can't be filled with five loaves and two fish. But everybody ate, and then they filled 12 baskets. How many disciples were there? 12 disciples because each disciple had to carry a basket of impossibility and the, the the broken pieces of loaves and fish in that basket heavy on their shoulders was saying explain this explain that because Jesus had to train them because they were about to change the world that with God all things are possible we, we limit God. Don't limit God. You are meant to make more than what you need. And if you're scared of greed, it's real simple. Greedy people don't give and giving people don't greed. You are always safe. Whether you have $100, $100 million or $100 billion, you are always safe if you're giving. The only time you need to worry that greed has got a hold of you is the day that you decide I'm no longer giving. When you give, you honor God. Whenever you give, you honor God. So we're going to make more than what we need. Why? Because there's a bigger world that God wants to expose us to. When you only make enough for you, your world is small. You're not even lifting your eyes. You're not even looking. You're not even trying to see the pain, the brokenness, and the devastation. 
But as you begin to lift your eyes, I'm telling you, like it's, it's an amazing thing. The more ground that we take, the more devastation I still see that's out there. The, the more campuses we have, the more lost people that I see, the more broken people that I see. So the first thing is make more than you need. Number two. Cross the divides. Cross the divides. See, what I love about the, the Samaritan is Jesus uses provocative terms. Terms He took, calls this guy but a Samaritan. Now, at first, when he's telling the story, people are amening because there's a Jew down. And the Jews didn't like the Samaritans because in the time of the captivity with Babylon, Many of the Jews decided, hey, why don't we marry the Babylonians? Then they won't persecute us. They won't treat us like slaves. They won't treat us like second-rate citizens. And then at the end of the captivity, these people came back, and the Jews are like, no, you guys, you guys betrayed us. You guys uh, have crossbred. So guess what? You have to live in your own. And so that's how Samaria, they occupied Samaria. That was Samaritans. So the Jews always look down on them. So when Jesus begins to tell the story that a certain Jewish man goes down there and falls amongst thieves, they're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he did. But what's interesting is that the priest doesn't look after his Jewish brother. The Levite doesn't look after his Jewish brother because they care more about their personal ministry. They care more about their personal religion. When we drive along the 15 freeway corridor, see all these churches, extraordinary buildings on extraordinary properties that in their heyday were probably filled. In their heyday, there was a, a man of faith that believed for that land and built that building and raised funds. And, but now the next generation, they cared more about their religion. They cared more about their tradition. They cared more about their services than these young people with that pesky rock and roll music. I, I can't believe these young people with their FaceTime. We, 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 we realize that all growth is messy. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes through the strength of an ox. So you got, a, you got a show that doesn't have one Christian song in it. That's right. How's that glorified? I can't believe you've got like, do you know how satanic ACDC is? Like you had the crowd singing Highway to Hell in church. Like how that grieves the Holy Spirit. It, like he's delicate. The Holy Spirit, he's a delicate little wallflower. He's the almighty God. Are you kidding me? He's the Almighty God. And but 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 when when we make the mission not about preserving our religion, preserving our traditions, preserving our name, preserving our ministry, when we make it about the fact that there are people who are lost, 
There are people who are bleeding in a broken marriage, people who are bleeding in an addiction, people who are overcome by sin, by lust, by despair, by hopelessness, whose businesses have been shattered, whose communities have been violated, whose hope has been devastated. We recognize we can't preserve our religion. We can't become a holy club for the, the chosen frozen. We've actually got to, we've actually got to cross cultural divides. We've got to step out. We've got to step into the realm of the uncomfortable. We, we, come on, somebody. We've got to be willing to do what is not comfortable. All growth happens in uncomfortable. If you're comfortable, if you're sitting on the sofa, you ain't going to get no abs. All growth happens in uncomfortable. We, you, well, you know, it's, well, you know, pastor, just slow down. Like, we've got six campuses now. Like, just sit here. Just settle here. Get comfortable. No, no, we're not here to be comfortable. Yeah, but why? You know, we gave last year a vision. Bill. Why? Because I'm not crossing the street to keep and preserve. God has not asked me to preserve what I have. He's asked me to continue to expand, continue to prosper, continue to increase, continue to reach out, continue to minister, continue to lift up, pour our oil and our wine. Do you know what the oil is? Is the Holy Ghost and the wine is the new covenant. There's oil in the new covenant and there's wine with the oil. There's power, there's oil, there's healing, there's deliverance, there's the Holy Ghost in the new covenant. Somebody say amen. Quickly, I've got to finish the last one, last one, last one. Number three, number three. This is the naughtiest one of all. Number three is purpose with compassion. Purpose with compassion. It's going to mess some people up. Let, let me just land on this. The Bible says, he says here in verse 35, yep, 35. He says, on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what do you mean when you, when you come again? Where, where are you off to? Well, I, 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 I'm a busy man. I, I've got a biz, business. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, we probably just need to interject and change the scriptures here. See, Jesus got up every morning and he just said to the disciples, you know, today I just, I just want to spend the day with the homeless. My Leanne went to a, a women's prayer group. And they asked her to share, but before they asked her to sh share, they got people just to share. And the first young lady says, I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to wake up in the morning and just go and spend the day with the homeless. And Leanne's like, where? Where, where in the gospel does Jesus say, hey, today, guys, we're just going to spend the day with the homeless. Nowhere. Nowhere. Jesus was on mission. Do you know that nearly all the miracles that you and I read were interruptions, interruptions on the way. He was on the way. He had mission. Now, he took time because he lived with margin. He took time to pause. He took time to heal. He took time to deliver, but he lived with mission. So, so let me tell you that, that we have purpose with, I'm not saying that we have purpose at the expense of compassion, but let, let me tell you that the, the mission isn't, well, let's just have no mission and just, just you know, it's all about the loss. It's all about the homeless and it's all about. 
you know, one of the, one of the, the saddest moments, I think, in, in, uh, in any Christian minister's life is, is when, you, when you see flaws in a hero. When you see flaws in a hero. When I was in Bible college, there, there was a, a, a historical figure who became a hero. In fact, the, the city of San Francisco is named after him, St. Francis of Assisi. And St. Francis of Assisi said this. He says, uh, every day preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Every day preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. And he was, you know, canonized as a saint by the Roman Catholic Church because he lived among the poor and every day he would minister to, to the poor. And he was a hero for, for many, many years. And then just a few years ago, the Holy Spirit kind of had to burst my bubble. And he said, listen, they, they deify, they canonize, they, they call this man a saint because he left everything and went and lived among the poor and became poor with the poor. And they, they championed that. He says, but he was my son. He was born again of my seed, of my spirit. He wasn't meant to become like them. They were meant to become like him. But in the world, the flesh, it's much easier. I don't have to have any responsibility. If I become poor like them, nobody will persecute me. But if I start teaching them prosperity, if I start teaching them blessing, then it gets messy. This man says, I'm going to leave him here because I'm a man on assignment. I'm a man with mission. You know, don't, what are you guys doing for the lost? We're, getting, we're having altar calls. Now, let me tell you this. Well, you know, what about like social justice worries? How come you guys aren't marching in the streets? And, you know, there was a volcano erupted in Iceland. How come you're not sending people? And there are floods in Australia right now. What, what are you guys doing for the floods in Australia right now? And, and, and we're, we're, we're not a social welfare arm. We are... We are you, well, well, then what's the church doing? Let me tell you what we're doing. Every Sunday on every single platform, 17 services on a weekend, or I think it's 12, I think it's 17 over Easter, we're going to be preaching the gospel. We are preaching the gospel. The gospel that we preach empowers people. The gospel that we preach delivers people. The gospel that we preach heals people. The gospel that we preach transforms people. The gospel that we preach breaks chains, smashes yokes, looses cords. The gospel that we preach atones for sin. The gospel that we preach cleanses people. The gospel that we preach brings hope to people. The gospel that we preach puts faith inside of people. We pre If we did nothing else... If we did nothing else but preach from this book on a Sunday, if every single Sunday all we did was just crack this book open and speak from this, we have fulfilled our assignment. Because there is not, what the world needs is the Word of God. They've got welfare arms. They've got government institutions. Now, I'm not saying that we don't care. That's why it's purpose with compassion. But I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to replace the Word of God. We're not going to. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God under salvation. 
We preach the gospel. We live with purpose. We have compassion. We heal the sick. We raise the dead. We cleanse lepers. We restore marriages. We deliver people from addictions. We cast out devils. We break demonic strongholds. But you better believe that we are on mission. We are on purpose. We live with purpose. 16 campuses. Oh, why do you need 16 campuses? Because we know that people are lazy. And then they're going to drive an hour. So if you won't come to us, we'll come to you. We're going to make it so blinking hard to go to hell living in San Diego because it's like no matter where, ah, there's an awakened Ah, there's one there. Ah, there's another one there. I'm, I'm surrounded by awakened churches. I. All right, I give in, I give in. We want to surround the city and say, come out with your hands up. And now speak in other tongues. Come on, I've gone over time. Come on, stand to your feet, stand to your feet. The awakened manifesto. Make more than you need, cross divides and purpose with compassion. Come on, lift your hands high. Father, I thank you right now for the anointing of the Holy Ghost, for the power of God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that, that we are not ashamed to flourish. We are not ashamed to prosper. We are not ashamed. We are not ashamed. We, we recognize that when we make more than what we need, it's because we can now meet other people's needs. When we make more than what we need, we position ourselves that we are blessed to be a blessing. That we can now be a blessing to other people, a blessing to our city. We know that you didn't put the silver and the gold in the ground for the wicked. But we compete with them because of their covetousness and greed. So we compete with them. We bring in the blessing of God. We walk under the anointing of God and we extract the wealth of this world to use it for your glory. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18, You shall remember the Lord your God for it is He who gives you wealth to establish His covenants in the earth. That's what we do. And Father, we cross the divides. We cross the divides. Religion said in San Diego, do not put women in the platform. Some of our best men are women. Some of our most amazing preachers. Sunday at Bressy Ranch. Cat Sullivan tore it up right here. Jenny Irvin tore it up. Lorraine. No, no, Lorraine. I'm talking about Lorraine. He's going to tear it up in Salt Lake. I said Jenny Irvin. Leanne. I mean, the, the women that we have, like, but, but religion, religion told us, hey, don't move in the Holy Ghost, preserve. Come on, all of our growth happened because, hey, Levite and priest, you, you don't want to get dirty, you don't want to let church be messy. We, we had somebody dying of cancer because they went to a church that said, if you see anybody speaking in tongues, run from that place. God gave you the cancer. If God gave us a cancer, then wh wh why, why do we have these wicked hospitals? Trying to cure people of cancer. If God gave it, unless God isn't good, then what the hell are we doing? But I've got a sneaky suspicion that your theology can't be backed up by one scripture in the Bible. No, once did Jesus walk around saying, hey, I healed this person, but do you mind if I just take that sickness? Yeah, I'm going to give it to you because the Lord wants to teach you something. Yeah, he's not a great teacher anymore. He used to be <laughs> in his day. My God, one of the greatest teachers. He was an orator, scholar. Now he just uses sickness. That's what we call dumbass theology. 
we cross religious divides where power of God, people falling out, you know, pe- demons coming out of people, people vomiting in the buckets and stuff like that. But what, what about the lost? Well, they, they'll line up when they see that there's deliverance in the house. They'll line up when they see that there's freedom in the house. But you'll scare people away. No, only the religious. And let me tell you, I'm glad to send the religious away. The religious crucified the Christ. So, And then the third one, prosperity. Oh, sorry, uh, purpose with compassion. Purpose with compassion. We're on purpose. We're on purpose. We have compassion. Compassion doesn't become the purpose. We have compassion. Jesus moved with compassion, but he was always on purpose. He was always on purpose. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.